Nothing makes teenagers seem more logical and kind-hearted and humorous than a group of politicians. Hi everyone, and welcome to the show. I'm joined again by my good friend from Butte, Representative Amanda Curtis. How are you? I am great. I love hearing that Representative Amanda Curtis. The last time we spoke, I don't think I had a title. Um, you were Representative-elect, I think. Oh. Because oh. you had done the um, primary and won, and there was no uh, actual election candidate on the other side, so they'd sent you the little paperwork That's right. In advance. I pretty much had this handed to me. That was awesome. <laughs> so that was exciting, and then you got into the session. Let's talk about that. Shall we? How was it? Uh, it was really an honor to be there to represent Butte, and it was surprising. It was exhausting. It was infinitely interesting. Um, it was boring. Sitting in meetings all day for sometimes 10 or 12 hours a day is just as boring as it sounds. <laughs> uh, but at, at the same time, there is this weight that you carry around that you, you are doing important work. At least that's what we tell ourselves. No, that's cool. So you got there. You wanted to get onto two committees. Is that right? I'm not sure if we had put in committee requests then, but I did end up on three committees. I oh. ended up on business and labor and health and human services, which was the killing fields for any reasonable mental health bill or feeding hungry kids. We, we don't do that either, apparently, in the state. And then my third uh, committee, which was really interesting, was local government. Mm. Butte, Silver Bow is one of only two consolidated city counties, and so... Almost every issue that came up in front of the local government committee, I was able to say, oh, well, you should just consolidate because that, we don't have that problem in Butte. <laughs> <laughs> I know Lewis and Clark would love to consolidate, but Cascade would be really, really peeved that they never <laughs> had any power at all. I mean, they barely have any anyway. But um, So that's cool. And uh, let's talk about what you had to face on those committees. Business and Labor is an interesting committee to be on because we don't hear a lot of what they face. And... And it's worth talking about, for sure. There were several bills that attacked workers' rights. Um, one in particular was brought that would allow a, an employer to require not just a urine sample, but also a hair sample or a blood sample as a term of employment, which I hope your listeners can figure out is dangerous and scary and a complete invasion of our constitutional right to privacy. Um, should I keep going? Plus it's, plus it's sexist. Let's be quite clear because most men have short hair and a lot of women have long hair. So the samples would be uneven. I mean, the problems with it go on and on. It did. It thankfully didn't make it out of committee. We were actually able to work together fairly well in that committee. I felt like we got along for the most part and were able to work together to kill bills or make sure that they didn't make it out of committee if they were egregious as mm. that bill was. Yeah, the other one, and I don't know, I guess this went up in front of you, uh, was the uh, taking away of time and a half for technical workers? That's right. I That made it, th that actually passed and then was vetoed, I think, 
I I hope so. I being a technical worker myself, I'm like, oh no. Right. It would. It puts um, IT workers under the quali- the category of a professional. And before now, that category had been reserved mainly for people who had had hiring and firing abilities. But it also now any computer programmer or IT professional would also be added to that category and therefore be exempted from overtime pay. And I stood up on the House floor and said, you know, I've heard you guys say that you're against government handouts, but I've never heard any one of you say that you wanted to reach into a Montana's pocket and take out their hard-earned money. And that's exactly what that bill did. I was I was really angry. It was the first time that I had ever spoken on the floor and I got up and I think that there's this unspoken rule that you're supposed to be very respectful and somewhat demure. And I got up and by the time I sat down, I was red faced and I think I had pointed my finger at them and pounded on my desk and yelled, which I'm pretty sure breaks three rules. Uh, or as I like to call it, that would be the hams rules of order. That's what you do. <laughs> yeah. I think I also referred to them as you people, which maybe mm. is the fourth rule that I broke. I sat down. Well, they refer to us as you people. It seems to turn about as fair play. <laughs> yeah, I sat down at, or after the session when I was walking down the aisle. Um, uh, minority leader Hunter said, Amanda, um, you might have actually lost some votes on that one. We weren't going to pass it anyway. So I was embarrassed until I watched it online to see if it really f- it was as bad as it felt. And I was actually really proud of what I said after I saw it on video. I, I, would, I would do it exactly the same way again. So that's an interesting point. What's funny is that we have uh, these decorum rules that are in place. Um, and, and I love the concept of a decorum rule because I think it's such an utter pile of BS that uh, it it's just it's a waste of time and it's one of those things where it's like if you deserve respect you'll be treated with respect but as soon as you're disrespectful to my constituents you better believe that you're going to be faced with somebody who's mean and snappy and i think you did the exact right thing and those people who are like well you might have lost votes you stand and do the right thing even if it doesn't get you what you want because at the end of the day it's going to get you what you need well, and the decorum rules really that are written that we ab- that we promise to abide by are really things like going through the chair of the day and not saying another representative's name, referring to them by the the county or the city that they represent. And so it's still really easy, actually, to be as poignant as you would like to be, even though you're saying it to the chair instead of the jerk that you are actually talking to. <laughs> Yeah, I think it's interesting. Um, I don't know if did you catch any other flack for that or? No, not at all. Well, when I went back to committee, they kind of you know, they they teased me a little bit about being so passionate and then losing. You know, like there is always some kind of friendly competitive banter between especially Representative Fitzpatrick from Great Falls, who was obviously in the majority and would get up and say nine or ten words from a Tea Party vocabulary list and get every single Republican to vote with him and then win. And so when I would get up and make this really impassioned speech, you know, for human beings and then lose, he was always the first one to come to me and say, oh, so how did that feel? You lost again. And that's okay. I I can take it. (laughs) (laughs) What a dink. (laughs) It's like, um, it's funny because I did watch a lot of the session online this this time and uh, only felt like punching my computer about three quarters of the time. So Mm -hmm. that's an improvement. Mm -hmm. Um, 
But I actually missed that. I missed you on the floor. And now I have to go back and look at it. Because, <laughs> uh, you know, one of the things that people have always talked to me about since we started the show is, well, when are you going to run? And I have no idea. I don't know what's going on with that. And really and truly, that should scare everybody anyway. But um, I can't imagine I would be anything but impassioned on anything. Because if I don't care about something, you know, I'll vote one way or the other and I get some ideas and, and be informed. But there are a lot of things where it's just like, yeah, my heart's not in it. But if it's something that my heart's in, there's a really good chance that I'll probably break several decorum rules too. <laughs> I almost broke them being, a, you know, just a uh, in a, a citizen giving testimony in front of uh, House Judiciary, the other killing fields, mm-hmm. or Mordor, depending the, on how you right, want to look at exactly. it. Exactly. And you know, so it. I think you did fine. It was interesting. You say that you wouldn't be impassioned about it, but it was interesting how the most mundane water rights law or I mean something that really truly does not even affect Butte Silverbow um, would come across the floor and by the time you're actually getting to vote on it you've heard both sides of the story everything does really kind of hit home with you it really feels important and, and you can see the repercussions of other people across the state if a bad bill passes or if a good bill fails and you do end up I think having a a, a stake in the game even when you didn't predict that you would hmm. interesting so what was your favorite moment aside from yelling at the people <laughs> <laughs> which would be my favorite moment wow that's a really interesting question everywhere i go everyone asks me what did you learn and what surprised you and they want to hear horror stories you know like the worst thing that i saw i don't think i have had a single person ask me what my favorite moment was well i would think you'd have to have a favorite moment or you're not going to do it again and i kind of want you back (laughs) yeah you just blew my mind trying to think of a a happy moment well you want to come back to it (laughs) no no there were a few um First of all, the, the, the best part of it, like I said, is representing Butte and just knowing that when I stand up and speak the truth about an issue, I have 10,000 people on the hill behind me and they agree with me because we are the best, most progressive liberal district in the state. And I represent hardworking people. It, it, that was That honor really was mind-blowing for me. I did not take it seriously when I got elected. I didn't really realize how important it was when I got there and in the first couple of weeks. And as the wheels of the legislature started turning, I really was struck by what an honor it was to be there for 10,000 of my neighbors. But as far as moments go, when Gordy Vance stood up on the last day and said... You know, fellow Republicans, we, we got some of the things that we wanted. We didn't get everything we wanted. But, but we can all go home and be really, really proud that we kept Montana from having Medicaid expansion. That, I guess that's not a high point, but... <laughs> <laughs> not really. <laughs> Hearing them admit his, his last speech on the last day was really admitting defeat. The really the only thing that he could say that he was proud of having done. He didn't have a long laundry list of accomplishments. He just said, well, we kept them from having health insurance. And, and I was glad that I didn't have to sit through 
we privatized their pensions and we privatized their schools and we lessened government assistance for needy families. I didn't have to sit and listen to any of those things. So just hearing him say, guess what, guys, we were able to keep them from having health insurance. I guess that was a high point for me. Interesting. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I think we should say that's going to be one of those clips that they pull out and go, don't vote for these decks. Yeah, they really, really are terrible. I don't know how else to put it. Uh, I was the first freshman to have a bill on the floor and no one in my party or on the staff had told me that there's an initiation process. And so you have a script that you read um, to get your bill onto the floor for discussion. And as you're speaking, if you're a freshman, everyone makes this kind of bomb dropping whistle. I can't really do it. Yes, that is it. And I was so incredibly nervous the first time that I spoke that when I heard that noise, I just assumed it was outside the chambers. It didn't even dawn on me that anyone would break the decorum of that hallowed room by to whistling. To a freshman. The, well, to whistle while, while someone was speaking. I was so nervous. I, I really did feel like I was going to throw up or faint. And so then... Um, the the debate was basically non-existent and closed and that voting was up and every single person voted no. There was one green next to Curtis and 99 reds. And I looked at the board and I thought, those assholes. And finally my seatmate turned, ne- turned to me and she said, this is your initiation. And right before this, when he said, the, the chair of the day says, does any member wish to change their vote? Right before that second bell rings, every single person changed their vote to a green. So it was 100 to zero. And that was, that was a high point. Every freshman that went after me knew that was coming. And so it wasn't, it, <laughs> it, it wasn't, wasn't shocking it, it wasn't, it was still, you know, a matter of tradition. They have to do it for every freshman, even if it's the 44th day and some freshman is just fine getting their first bill through but I'm glad that I got to to be the first freshman to have a bill through on the floor I got I think I might have been the first freshman to speak on the floor and I was impassioned and so those were some high points for sure as you should be one of the things that I find interesting about our politics is we've got a bunch of people that don't get any passion whatsoever that are in it they just want people to stop doing something that they see as wrong and it's funny because the things that they see as wrong or as wrong, are generally things that they have no business looking at. (laughs) And it kind of cracks me up that this is what we deal with on a consistent basis in Montana politics. And it's not just in the House, it's in every part of our political being. And it's, you know, being from Helena where politics is, you know, lived and breathed year-round, every year, every day, something political is happening in town. Um, Then... You know, you're a little bit removed from that, but you lived in Helena. You know, you remember what it was like. How's it being back in Butte where you're not having to live and breathe this every day? Or are you still? It's heaven. (laughs) (laughs) How succinct. (laughs) Yeah, I, I really love it here. I don't need to be anywhere else. And it is heaven. Oh, that's awesome. So it was interesting. We've got it. We actually managed to uh, accomplish a lot. I think I think both sides actually managed to get some good things through um, this last session. 
I don't know that you necessarily agree with the, some of the stuff that they put through was good. Mm. I can't remember anything I off the top the of my head. business equipment tax was, was good. That was bipartisan. We all agreed that businesses in Montana, especially small businesses, needed help, and that the threshold for business equipment tax was set way, way, way too... I don't know if the right way to say it is set too low or set too high, but it's set too low. That was something that we could all agree on, and that was a Republican-sponsored bill. The Republicans got a lot through, in large part because when you are in the majority, organizations approach majority members to carry their bills because they know that you will have the votes to get it passed. Right. So, of course, Republicans got great bills through. They were the ones who were asked to carry them. Well, that makes sense. Yeah. But they, there were a lot of bills that came from the Republican side that seemed very reasonable. There were some bills that seemed very unreasonable. And then there were, of course, just the crazy bills where we somebody carried it and then it called out every insane person in the state to show up and give testimony that made no sense. Yeah, should we talk about those? Sure. Senate Bill 107? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that. I mean, that's just one in a long list of insanity. So Senate Bill 107... Um, would have would have made it not a felony to have have sexual contact with the person of the same sex sex, which literally can consensual mean, adult sexual. Contact. It didn't even say that. It just said it's just said sexual contact with a person of the same sex or an animal. That was the definition of uh, oh, what's the word? It was a de- deviant sexual. De- acts. It was just de- right deviant deviate. behavior. No, not was- deviant. Deviate. Okay, deviate behavior was any sexual contact between two people of the same sex or with an animal. And just that broad definition of sexual contact, so a kiss on the mouth, holding hands, like what's your definition there, is deviate behavior and is considered a felony. And so Senate Bill 107 sought to correct that. Right, Just just to let everybody know, our Supreme Court had ruled it unconstitutional in 97, and the U.S. Supreme Court had ruled a similar thing out of with Lawrence v. Texas in 2003. So it wasn't like this could be enforced at all. That was the that was the great part of this. Nobody had even tried. In fact, nobody had even tried to enforce this since, since the late 70s. So it's not like this was something that was still being used against us. We had moved beyond that. But there were people that still wanted it on the books because they thought, you know, one day the South will rise again and the faggots were going down. So well, and I, part of me thought, okay, if these people that's a nice way to don't pass this bill we should fill the jails just do a good old-fashioned protest like they did during the free speech riots and fill every single jail cell force force arrests based on deviant behavior um thankfully it didn't get to that i was still astonished though something like 38 out of 100 members voted uh, to keep that a felony in the state of Montana. I was so offended. That's the day that on my my daily video blog, I said that I felt like punching another representative. And I just <laughs> felt like punching him. I didn't punch him. I wasn't threatening to punch him. But that, bill, that video got picked up by the Huffington Post and has 12,000 views and, <laughs> and led to other interviews. If I would have known that that's all it took to be a famous representative was to to say I wanted to punch somebody, I could have done that from day one. Right. Well, and it's it's Montana. I think, you know, well, nobody in the state condones violence. Everybody in the state has felt like punching someone, and it's really part of our history. If one so. of my high school students said, Mrs. Curtis, I wanted to punch that kid, 
for doing something horrible to me, I say, oh, you showed really good self-restraint. Good job not punching that kid. Right. I don't say totally. don't threaten violence. Right. I totally understand where you're coming from, kid. Let's move on. Right. People are horrible. Good job not punching them. <laughs> right. Good. Yeah. Because you know what? Shit splatters. Don't punch them. <laughs> so. How about a bill that would have made a drug test mandatory for anyone who is seeking any form of government assistance? Well, okay, so this is an interesting one. This is the one that cracks me up the most because these are the people that are worried about government spending. That's that's where the basis comes in for this. And Florida is the only state that actually did this. It was signed into law by the governor who actually owns a company that produces the drug tests, just in case you were all looking for the uh, cause and effect right there. That's where it is. Signed it into law. They spent $30 million. $30 million. Not $3 million, not $300,000, 30 million implementing this regime. They caught two people, one of whom actually was a false positive. So $30 million to catch one person. Because if you're on assistance, guess what? You can't afford drugs. And if you're on drugs, you can't fill out the paperwork for assistance because you're too high. It's pretty basic. Oh, it was just so offensive. Um, there was a bill to make it easier for you to be wrongfully discharged from your job um, by redefining the behaviors under which you were allowed to be fired. And the language went so far as to say that you could be fired from your job if you were not furthering the employer's mission. That's a little broad for me. A little bit vague. That's very broad. Depending, you know, if it's your employer happens to be religious and you don't have the oh, it's, ick, no. I mean, uh, and to reduce, in order to be wrongfully discharged from your job, the employer actually has to break their own written hiring policy. So they literally have to have written down exactly what they're going to do, and then do something else. It's really, really hard to get wrongfully discharged and to prove that. And there was a bill to lower the amount that you could get in court for a wrongful discharge to something that's so low that no lawyer would ever take it. So it makes it way easier for employers to know that they can wrongfully fire people from their jobs. Um, Oh, there were so many bills that would keep a local government from making decisions about land use. And these are the people who your local government officials are elected by the local citizens to know your area best right. and to make a blanket law across the entire state that ties the hands of every council of commissioners and tells them that they can or cannot make a certain law. That was egregious to me. That's something that happened in local government. That's not very, you know, glitzy. So no one ever talks about it, but there was a constant attack on our local governments. I was astounding. That's amazing. You know, one of the things, you know, there's a, there's always the big ticket items that get the stories. And, mm-hmm. and I'm just as guilty of this as anybody, not like I'm a journalist. But, I, you know, they're the things that I care about the most that I go after and look at. But there are so many other things. I mean, there were, what, 2,000 bills presented this year? <laughs> yeah, just a few. It was ridiculous. And, you know, it's always going to be like that because we only have 90 days of a session and we've got to get through the budget. We have a bunch of other stuff to do. And you do have long days and you go seven days a week or six days a week, I guess. And it's just... A crazy amount of work that we ask of the people that get represented. I'm so impressed with all the people that run, simply because I I think on some level, especially the first time they run, they have no idea what they're getting into, and then if they have the guts to go back to it, you know, even if they take two or three sessions off and then go back to it, it's like no, they know what they're getting into and they're still willing to face this. That's astounding. 
Oh, I just forgot what I was going to say. <laughs> oh, um, and let's not forget that each one of those bills that goes through the system costs the taxpayers, I want to say $15,000. You're kidding. No, the, that, that number is actually available through the legislative services. They know exactly how much it costs to get through every step of the process. And so... I have this issue with a party having an ideology of um, saving taxpayer dollars and, and limiting government, and then at the same time, bringing bills that are completely unconstitutional. For the first time ever, the legislative staff had to create a new form so that if you presented a bill um, to be written and introduced into the system, and it was um, <clears throat> unconstitutional. There was a form that said, you know, constitutional issues, and you could rebut that. But it was it was distributed to everyone on the committee and everyone on the floor. In the past, in all of the past sessions before 2011, if a legislative staff member came to you and said, "I'm not sure you realize this, but your bill idea actually has some constitutional issues." It was never pursued. That is embarrassing to even try to pursue something that is unconstitutional. But now we have this culture of politicians who claim to be constitutionalists, but will bring a bill that the staff says this is clearly unconstitutional, it violates X, Y, and Z section of our constitution, and the representative says, writes a rebuttal that gets distributed to everyone, handwritten, that literally would say something like, I disagree with that part of the constitution, or I disagree with your interpretation. And then if that's not, so there's $15,000 wasted on an unconstitutional bill. It actually is going to cost more than $15,000 because it's going to end up going through the court system. And then on top if of, it gets passed. Yeah. Yeah. Then, then on top of that, there was a bill that would give a legislator standing in court when their unconstitutional bill got through the court system. So it's, I mean, we're totally taking, we're like nullifying our constitution and then taking away our separation of powers. They're literally disintegrating our democracy brick by brick. It's frightening. Well, and it's astounding. One of the things that I find interesting, speaking of standing, we'll go to another one of the bills that had nothing to do with Montana directly yet. Um, but that just went through and it was about standing was the Prop 8 bill. And the Supreme Court, you know, everybody, a bunch of my friends are pissed off because they think that the Supreme Court punted on it. And I happen to agree with the Supreme Court's decision, uh, thank God, which is odd. Um, I don't agree with Scalia, <laughs> which is not a shock. I've only agreed with him, I think, twice in my life. Um, but they were mm, shocking. Anyway, um, they, they said, you know, this group does not have standing. They are not the elected officials. You cannot grant standing to them. And what's amazing about that is that all of the, the bill that you were just talking about that would have granted standing, that would have fallen under the same thing. You can't grant standing to anybody but an elected official in the capacity to defend the laws. That's the AG, not the legislator. So it's astounding to me that anybody would even think that that sort of thing would go through the, at all. The beauty... I think, and the beast probably in Montana politics is that we do have a citizen legislature. You do not have to know anything about law, how laws are made, how laws are written, or even the Montana code to get elected and to go serve there. But always in the past, we've had a body of citizens who were willing to learn and who would look up to their mentors and, and just drink in as much knowledge as they can. And all of a sudden, we have a group of politicians who... I would call them pigeons, I guess. Have you heard this metaphor about playing chess with a pigeon? <laughs> so 
trying to make laws with a Republican is, I shouldn't say a Republican. With a tea party. A tea partier. Yeah, it's truly not a Republican value. So trying to make laws with a tea partier is like playing chess with a pigeon. Inevitably, the pigeon is going to crap all over the game board, knock over all the pieces, and then strut around like he's the biggest winner in the universe. <laughs> that pretty much describes working with the tea party. It, Do it, a tea. It, it, yeah, you can't go someplace and say, all of you people with way more knowledge and experience than me who have been doing this for way longer than I have, you are all wrong. And stomp your feet and yell loud enough to get something totally unconstitutional passed. That's not how it works. Well, we're seeing we're seeing the backlash against them start to take hold, and I just hope that it it takes hold and cleans it out. I mean, the Republican Party in Lewis and Clark County, which you know Lewis and Clark County is fairly liberal on its own, but it does have a good base of Republicans. They're not Tea Partiers, and the Tea Partiers in the Republican Party basically staged a coup. I don't know if you saw any of the the stuff that happened. They went after my mom, <laughs> which is really dumb because. Uh, Mom's a sweetheart, uh, but she was born with red hair. Piss her off, and you're doomed. So, uh, you good know, luck. They, they went after her, and you know, we're trying to tell her that she's not a good Republican, and um, she'd had it and took a couple of them out and wrote some really, really nice, wonderful things that had to be read into their own uh, minutes, which were delightful. And these people just are too ignorant to even know when they're being cut down. It's amazing, but they're also they're they're simply angry and mob like. They're not very well organized, and so I'm hoping that their energy dies out fairly quickly. I'm so. happy to hear you say that. My experience has actually been the opposite. I would say that while I was in the legislature, I received oh easily thousands of emails, probably six or seven thousand emails in the course of those ninety days, and of those, maybe five hundred of them were from Butte. And of those, 90% of them were from Tea Party activists here in town. And we're Butte. They're, that's like 10 people. So my experience has been that there's this feeling from progressives and from liberals that, that we have this trusted humankind and everything's going to be okay and I don't need to be involved and I don't need to be stomping my feet and shouting because I have this overwhelming belief in human nature that good will prevail. And, and then we'd like to point you to religion. And, well, and then we have a very, very small, marginal, extremist group who are stomping their feet and shouting. And, you know, sometimes the squeakiest wheel gets the grease, and that's frightening. Right. And if you look at our, if you look at the Montana Republican Party um, elections that just happened, a wonderful Republican um, holds true to the entire Republican platform, is works very well with both sides of the aisle. A true conservative, compassionate conservative, was ousted for a Tea Party year. Yeah, and I think that's what's going to cost them in the next election. Oh. Because what will happen is the they're going to do what they did last time, which is they're going to um, primary challenge a bunch of people. And then they're going to put up these nutbags left and right, and that's just going to cause more people to vote for the Dems. I hope so. I think that 
you don't know someone's a quote a nut job until someone has pointed out their voting record. So I think it is really dangerous if they come up with a lot of new candidates that don't have a voting record and try to make them look like reasonable human beings and, you know, uh, active parts of their community who contribute and, and, you know, are intelligent. And then all of a sudden when they've got a voting record behind them, that's, it's clear that that's not the case. Right. So I hope you're right. I very much hope that you're right. <laughs> I hope so too. I mean, one of the things that I think that we need to have is we do need to have some balance. I don't think either party should be in power for any length of time. Um, but I also don't think that one party should be, uh, turned over to the the crying mob who's just out to, in, and basically they're just out for themselves, which is exactly the opposite of what government is. The reason that we have government is that we come together for the things that we all need. That's the point. Yeah, I'm really you know, tired. We all need of this. an education, and we all need roads. Yeah, I'm really tired of this anti-government mantra because, um, you know, my one of one of the most famous Republicans said that we were a government of the people, for the people, and by the people. And I know that that's something that's very true to our Butte roots, is that we don't think that government is some alien force that's trying to impose anything on us. We understand that we are the government. We make the decisions. We elect people to help make those decisions for us. I'm really, really tired of this us versus them mentality when it comes to government. Right. It's it's kind of sad and pathetic. Um, so you made it through the session. Barely. Uh, barely. Um, I remember watching your videos by the end. You did look a little tired. <laughs> one uh, viewer commented that watching from day one to day 87 was like seeing uh, this, you know, fresh-faced freshman uh, go downhill towards a zombie apocalypse. <laughs> <laughs> It's kind of true. If you look at day like 86 or 85 compared to day four, that is probably true. Uh, Yeah, you did look fresh faced. So what actually started you doing the videos? Uh, Every legislator can receive up to $1,000 for a technology stipend. Mm-hmm. I'm from a super poor family and I'm a school teacher and $1,000 is a huge amount of money to me. And so I was so thankful to be able to go out and get a laptop. I shopped really wisely and got something on sale. And I really felt like I needed to be actually using this new laptop to service my constituents. Literally, they bought it for me. It is Mm -hmm. their taxpayer dollars that pulled together for $1,000, which is a lot of money to everyone in my district to get me this laptop. And so I thought um, when I was about a week before the session, I thought, oh, here's this little movie maker icon. I wonder how how easy it really is to make a little video. And I did a test run and realized it was going to take about 10, 50, however long you talk. That's how long it takes to make a video. And um, I'm, I think I might be a little obsessive compulsive. I, I really like doing something a day or something an hour. You know, it really fits my personality. So I set the goal that I would try to do one a day as long as people were watching. And I honestly didn't think that anyone would, would watch these things. So I thought, okay, I'll do this for the first week and then it'll probably dwindle out. No one will really care. Maybe my, I thought my friends and family would watch and think it was, you know, cute. And just instantly i had such a huge reaction that it was really i was really committed to actually doing something for every every day i had so many people come up to me in the first month and bet me 
say, say basically we like your passion and we think that's a really cute idea, but come day 45 or day 50, there's no way you'll be able to keep up with it. And you know, we butte girls challenge accepted. I know, I know that sometimes my husband gets me to agree to think to things by telling me that it can't be done. <laughs> Positive. The power of negative persuasion. <laughs> right. <laughs> So, um, th- I thought it was, I thought it was amazing. I, the videos that you were doing were fantastic because it gave not only your perspective on what was going on, but it certainly covered some of the things that weren't getting news throughout the session. And, um, for your constituents, I can't imagine a better way for them to do it because it's not like you have the time to sit down and write everything out. Cause that take, uh, honestly, it's easier to talk about things than it is to write. Well, and no one wants to read it. You can send someone a letter and they don't read it. Right. But to sit down and play that and just hear you talking, I would play it. I wouldn't watch you because I'm like, I have other things to do, but I'd play right. it and, and just listen to it because I can understand what you're saying. And it was great. The only thing that I wanted was it to come to my phone, <laughs> like to be able to subscribe to it like a podcast. So because I just wanted it to come, you know, as soon as right. there was one there, I want to be able to hear it. But wherever I am, I don't want to sit down to a computer to get right. to it. And it was like, this can't be that foreign to everybody else, but nobody else did it. It astounded uh, me. One did. Uh, J.P. Pomnikowski out of Bozeman. She was my seatmate, and she is... We're friends on Facebook. I never once saw one from her. She... I am not sure. I, I don't know what the difference is between our settings. I have myself set up as, I think, a, a community organization or a political organization. And so w- whatever my settings are, allow people to follow me. And I know the, I just know that because I'm able to have followers through my settings that when I post anything, it instantly pops up and people are getting that information. Mm -hmm. And I'm not sure what the difference she, she needs to turn on some kind of setting that will allow her to have followers. Cause I know she did about 10 videos, maybe 15 and there she's very good. She really knows what she's talking about and she is very reasonable. She's I'm really, I am really passionate and I will, you know, call people names and say that I think that they're not, they're not using their whole brain. She's much more diplomatic and she really got into the nuts and bolts of the budget saying, look, you know, your money is being spent where I would say these tea partiers are spending all your money. She would say, this is your balance and this is where it went and, and leave the assumption up to the viewer. She did a really great job actually. Hmm. So it gives me I'll have to check it out. It gives me hope that more people will be following. I hope so. I mean, I think one of the things that um, is interesting is we're one of the the states that actually does a really good job of making sure that our committees are available via online and it's also available on the local channel in Helena. I don't know if it's statewide as well, if it's on the cable system, but uh, it should be. And um, I just know that being able to go back and search that archive as well as we can now is astounding. It's it's fantastic. And I know they've got some new technology coming in that's going to help with some transcribing. It's auto-transcribed, so it's going to be iffy <laughs> for a couple of years as it learns how people talk. But um, we'll be able to search by keywords before uh, before too long, and that's going to be amazing. That's going to allow us to do some uh, some really good tracking of what's going on in our sessions that we aren't seeing right now. So I'm looking forward to some more technology getting in front of the legislators. And I think that they need to have that to communicate back. Because how else do you do it? And while I agree that all of that is is great and the more transparency, the better, I have truly found that while people are really passionate about certain issues, they are working too hard and too busy and 
And it's not really part of our culture to go out and do a keyword search on something that's important to you. And so I think that the, the video, the value of the videos is that if people watch them for a couple of times, cause it was just my face and a camera, we kind of, they kind of started feeling like we're friends. It's so, oh, yeah. it's so odd. I will go someplace now, even in a different part of the state and someone will randomly come up to me and say, I know who you are. I, uh, one guy told me, I feel like I should hide my beer from you because I have <laughs> spent so much time talking to you. I don't want you to know that I drink beer. I mean, oh, like we they really feel like we have this personal relationship just because we've spent so much time conversing. Well, that's perfect. Well, and that's what that's what you need. I mean, on some level, it's a little weird that they think they have a personal relationship with you, but on another level, it means that they're going to tell you the truth. They're going to tell you exactly what they think or feel, and it's going to give you insights that you can't get otherwise as a politician. Well, and it also means that they knew I was telling the truth. It also means that I have somehow kept myself from being at that weird bureaucratic level of a politician, and I've managed to keep myself as a human being talking to other human beings. And I would actually say that that's probably my proudest accomplishment from the legislature because I going into it, didn't want to be a politician. I still don't want to be a politician. I have now firsthand seen that the true examples of the negative connotation of that word politician, and I don't want to be any part of it. And so if I have somehow managed to dodge that bullet and, and let people know that I really am a human being that's there just like they could be there. Oh, that, that means a lot to me. So, you know, we obviously you get a year off and then you'd have to run again if you're running for elections and, um, you know, with the next session coming up, are there things that you're going to do differently the next time you hold office or are you going to continue to hold office? Do you think this will be a part of you forever? Or? I would definitely like to serve again. I, I don't know. I guess I'm just a glutton for punishment. <laughs> oh, you're from Butte. All right. I kind of feel like I've been awarded this training. I feel like my, honestly, I feel like my colleagues and my friends and my neighbors on the Hill have sent me and have given me this amazing opportunity to get this training and to gain this knowledge and to have this voice. And, and I don't have to do it. I love my life. I can teach at Butte High School for the rest of my days and never leave this town and, and be a teacher and nothing else and be completely happy. But I do feel like I've kind of been given this, like this gift that I need to use. And having had one session makes me feel like I need to, to go back and, and do more. Hmm. Well, I think, I think it'll be interesting. What are the big bills that, uh, that you wanted to get past that you achieved? Uh, I had two wins. And if those bills would not have passed, I would have known for sure that they were just out to get me. Um, one was uh, a correction of language. Often, er, pretty much every time a bill gets written by, and bills are written by the legislative staff, right. all I have to do to submit, to, to write a law, is to, to even send an email or make a phone call or a fax or write on any scrap of paper I would like the lottery proceeds to go to a scholarship fund. That's it. That is, I just wrote a law. And then someone else who knows a lot more about, I do about, um, a lot more than I do about, about our constitution and our law and other states laws, uh, will actually go and research 
all of the aspects of making something like that happen and come back to me with with a, a draft of a bill. So in that process, there's a lot of language updates that happen. And different writers have different styles and use different grammar. And a few sessions back, when they were trying to fix some issues with county commissioner boundaries being redrawn, they literally accidentally wrote that county commission boundaries had to be redrawn within six months of an election. They meant to write that they could not be redrawn within six months of an election. But just, I mean, it was, it's, it's an English teacher's dream. They accidentally wrote and voted into law. You know, something 150 that, people voted on it three times. And voted into law something that was exactly the wrong The opposite thing. of what they meant to say, and no one caught it. And so one of the bills was just to go back and fix that, to say, oh, oops, that should say cannot be instead of must be. Um, so that was a no-brainer. <laughs> That's right. great. Oh, we're having an election. Well, we got to wait till the six month mark, and then we'll tell you which. Uh, right, 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 right. We'll tell you who you represent and where you're running. Oh, that's funny. Oh, uh, actually, the first, the first week or two weeks is spent just completely with fixing prior legislative mistakes. The it's really easy. No one argues about anything because every single bill that comes through is an oops. Guess what we accidentally did last session? Uh. It's so, you know, everyone's getting along. The work is easy. The meetings are short. The discussion is succinct. Um, Sounds delightful. Yeah. And then that ends. <laughs> right. <laughs> and then they want to drug test everyone and let you be fired from your job. And for looking cross-eyed at your boss. Right. Right. Yeah, but I'm cross-eyed anyway. <laughs> That's interesting. So you've made it back to Butte. Have you had a good uh, time since May? I have had a really good time. I was so happy to go back to my classroom. So yeah, explain how that works. Now, because you were gone from June or January seventh, mm-hmm. right before my fortieth. That's right. And then uh, up until the eighty-seventh day when they called Sydney die, mm-hmm. and then you got to come back. And were you immediately back in your classroom? Did you have a sub that whole time? I or? did. I had a retired math teacher, and I also actually had a student teacher. So mm. I think my kids kind of got the best of both worlds because the student teacher. Um, maybe had a little bit of experience to gain in classroom management, but had, I think, three mathematics degrees from Montana Tech and the University of Montana and was really up on the current technology. And uh, I think that the students really enjoyed having this 20-something-year-old techie um, mathematician, musician, actually, um, in the room with them every day. And then they also had a retired math teacher who has literally been in the classroom for longer than I've been alive (laughs) seriously and so while he he might not be as well versed in the technology that are in every single classroom especially mine today he definitely knew how to deal with kids especially at-risk kids which is who I teach well that's that's great and so you got back and then you had what a month uh I got back I went back on a Monday um at the end of April, and I taught all of May and the first week of June. Yep. That's awesome. And then are you enjoying the summer? I am. I, I've never met a summer that I didn't like, and <laughs> I'm really thankful to have this time to heal and grow and you know take classes and, and further my education. Um, 
Oh, yeah. You mentioned something about that. Aren't you getting your master's? I am. I take a one or two classes every semester towards a master's degree in educational leadership. Awesome. Um, yeah, I just, I really, I enjoy going to school. I'm just the quintessential nerd, I think. <laughs> I, I love it. And so while all of the other teachers at the end of April and beginning of May were really feeling burnt out and counting the days, I they, they would say like, Oh, 22 days left. And I would say like, oh man, only 22 days left. And then they'd look at you like you're crazy. And then you'd look at them and go, legislator. Yeah, no, I, I couldn't even say it. I had to just keep it to myself and try to try oh. to act like I fit in. But um, nothing makes teenagers seem more logical and kind hearted and humorous than a group of politicians. I mean, I was just so happy to go back to a reasonable group of people after being in <laughs> Helena. I think that's the quote of the day. I have nothing else to add. Right? And it's I like... mean, and we're talking about teenagers. We we're literally talking about 16 and 17 year olds. And, and while everyone else might think that it sounds horrible to spend a day with 120 or 1300 teenagers, wow, after spending four months in Helena, it was just, it was heaven. That's astounding. <laughs> well, thank you for coming on the show. It's been awesome. I hope that, you know, we didn't destroy in you the ability to go back to the legislature and uh, make some more changes. I think you did an awesome job and it was really cool having you there. So hopefully you'll get back there again. <laughs> thank you. No, I am definitely inspired to, I, I tell everyone show up and say yes. And so I can't tell other people to show up and say yes. And then, and then be a quitter. So you'll see me there again. Good. Uh, thanks for being on the show. Ladies and gentlemen, this has been another episode of Politic Boom. It is brought to you by the very kind folks at Studio 19, uh, which was just me. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> I had to put that in. Um, thanks for being on the show, and I will talk at you soon. Politic Boom.